Hi everyone, welcome to Off Grid once again, where we happen to think that cryptic crosswords can be really interesting. Uh, if you're not into cryptic crosswords, don't panic, because most of the time we're going to be talking about words in a crossword that we've already solved that we found led us to interesting things. We will also tell you our three favourite clues that we've picked out and explain how they work to you. But apart from that, it's just fun facts all the way. Right, Dave? Absolutely. If you are interested in which one we did, this time it was the Financial Times puzzle number 16921 from Wednesday, October the 20th, 2021. And that was set by Gozo. And we'll have a link to that if you want it. Uh, as listeners by now will know, the voices you're hearing are me, Dave. And me, Void. Hello, everybody. As well as everything I just said, we will also have a short general knowledge quiz, courtesy of the ever-present, the ever-welcome general knowledge. Hello there. Hello. Good to be back. Great to have you here, as ever. Right, so those clues then, we're going to read them out to you now, and then we'll come back to them later in the podcast and explain how they work. So, General, what was your favourite clue, please? Uh, my favourite clue was two down, no axe cut yet, if so ordered, and that is four, two, nine. And Dave? Uh, I picked a nice, relatively simple one, 12 across, which says, hearing not good, awful medical condition. And that's six letters. And what did you go for? I went for 11 across, delightful hopes scatter with this autumnal work, six, three, six right listeners have a think about those or equally valid just ignore them meanwhile we will plow on with the general's choice of interesting word slash fact what do you got general um my favorite word or rather the word that sort of leapt out at me at first was partly due to the clue but the word um whippy at one down, which I thought had been clued in quite an interesting way. Whippy appears in Chambers Online uh, as, a, as an adjective, as you might expect, you know, being uh, springy or flexible. But right. the clue itself had the definition as Mr. Ice Cream Man, which, you know, you may be familiar with Mr. Whippies being sold out on, you know, promenades and things down by the beach. Yeah. Um, it's a common name of ice cream van yes. uh, vendors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I did a bit of a uh, bit of digging into this, partly because of my own sort of childhood memories of having like, ice creams at school fates and things where we'd have the ice cream van there. And it turns out that Mr. Whippy is pretty much, well, entirely based on Mr. Softy over from America in that the businessman went over to America, sees the Mr. Softy vans going around, brings it back and tries to get the name sort of marketed in the UK, essentially. Um, it didn't... Uh... He was unable to get the license for the brand and so instead set up his own Mr. Whippy to go around and sort of uh, corner the market, as it were, starting in... It's a classic advertising technique, isn't it? Yes, the, yeah. Picking a name that's reminiscent of a successful rival. Mm. And so yeah. this, is, uh, this was in 1958. So that got me thinking, well, if this is in 1958... My main memory of going to a, a Mr. Whippy van is buying a 99, you know, the ice cream that's got a flake in it and it's all very nice. And when I, yeah. my memories of a 99 is that they cost 99p, yeah. except 99p wouldn't have been a thing in 1958. 
Absolutely so pre-decimalization for start. So how, so how much did they cost back then? I assume it wouldn't have been ninety nine. I mean, ninety nine pence back then would have been you know uh, quite a, a different price for an ice cream. Yes, quite. <laughs> um, uh, so in other words, were they even called? At what point were they first called ninety nines? Indeed. And so it turns out that some people have done some digging into this themselves for me, which is useful um, in reading various <laughs> articles and things, trying to find out the history. Um, and some it's one people of those meaning of, the internet, right? Yes. <laughs> and it, sort of, uh, it sort of comes down to one of those nobody knows situations in that lots of people have lots of different stories, some of which I will, <laughs> I will share with you now. Um, two, two of them talk about different addresses where they were first marketed, being at 99 such and such a street. Mm. And that's where it came from. But my suspicious, favorite, indeed, my, my favourite grade is it? Is that the um, the man, Mister uh, Stefano Arcari, who came over to England from Italy and started selling his ice cream wares, wanted to name it as a nod to the boys of '99, Iragazzi del. 99. I don't know how to say 99. So. <laughs> um, but they named them after these people who were um, basically people of rank who either were close to the monarch of the time and who would usually go around wearing black feathers in their caps. And so the flake in the ice cream looked similar to the feather in the cap of these 99 gentlemen. Mm. And so it became a name that st- stuck out of esteem that these are the one of the best 99 ice creams i suppose so um, it's, a, it's a nice imagery with whether, mm, it's, whether it's true yeah. or not yeah it's, it's better the, than just it's from number 99 such and such road isn't it yes the monarch there so. being the italian monarch so that would it, be well maybe maybe monarch is not the right word hang on <laughs> what year am i talking about 1899 probably not then is it well that sounds about right for me because i mean italy was a collection of city states for a long time, wasn't it? And, and yes. Garibaldi was the famous campaigner for Italian unification. And I think he was mid slash late 19th century. So maybe late 19th century was about when you got a king in Italy. Yeah. The House of Savoy. Yeah, apparently. that's the Italian house. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. That's one. Um, and my other memory of ice creams, um, I, I quite enjoy going to the theatre. Of um, I say of an evening, you know, many years ago when we were allowed to go to the theatre for mm-hmm. for such events, yeah. and you may, uh, I don't, well, if you frequent the theatre, you may know that they they have like sellers at the interval that come out with like little trays of ice cream. That know it, I was one. Were you? Oh, well, there <laughs> in, you go. in a cinema, not a not a not, oh, not right. theatre, but uh, yeah, I took the ice cream down and stand, stood down the front and sold people their. Um, cornettos and their slur drinks and their popcorns and stuff yeah and that also got me thinking about why why do we have ice cream in the theater of all of all things to sell and in the cinema i suppose you know where you know pop i suppose popcorn is more usual why is it ice cream that sort of gets a bit of a a nod ahead of other snacks and commodities Mm -hmm. and again it seems to be, be quite warm can't they they can be yeah so and cinemas. I mean, people didn't people used to go to the cinema of, of an evening just to keep warm. <laughs> I mean, well, well, I suppose the snacks go. At least it's a quiet one, which is not going to we're uh, not going to put the actors off too much. Yes, true. Especially if you haven't finished it by 
you know the time the second the second half has yeah. started and like the rustling of sweet wrappers and the and the crackling of crisps and mm. so on but it seems as though this tradition of having ice creams in the theater is um a lot older than i thought i mean i don't know if you want to give like how old do you think having ice cream in the theater is as a snack. This isn't part of the general knowledge quiz. But this is a, a sidetrack. Uh, well, I, I'm doubting it goes back to Shakespeare. I'm probably. I'm going to take a punt that it goes back to Roman times. Oh, wow! Romans had ice creams. Roman ice had, creams. Yeah. They had theaters. Yeah. I mean, they did have theaters, but um... <laughs> Sit, sitting there with a little cardboard spoon out of a tub while you're watching the lions attacking the Christians. Yeah. yeah. Um, the earliest citation um, for having ice creams in the theatre comes from a, uh, a record in the House of Commons of a Mr. Becker asking the Home Secretary if his attention has been called to the breaches of the law that are taking place daily in connection with the sale of ice cream. Is he aware that ice cream is sold in theatres and other places of amusement and tea shops after the hour of 9.30pm when it is not part of a meal? And if he will take steps to see if this law is enforced. And that was in 1924. 1920s? 1924. Very good. I was just going from your language there. Because (laughs) it it sounded quite modern language. Mm. So, I mean, I mentioned earlier that ice cream sort of turned up in the UK in the late 1800s. You know, 1899, well, 1899 or so, right, was when the... uh, This year is being called back to. So... At some point between in that 30-year window, presumably they just started selling ice cream in theatre unreasonably late. And, <laughs> um, How dare they? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, just, it's just those couple of things that made me think about... You know, it's not why... part of a substantial meal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. But, I um... suppose it's, it's cunning marketing, isn't it? Because they would have had this new product and they would have thought, well, we've got to persuade people to buy it. Mm. What? How can we do that? In what situations? So I guess they came up with the mobile ice cream cart before the van. Mm-hmm. And yes. then, then I suppose if you can have a cart, you can have a little tray around the neck. And yeah, can we sell I it suppose. in theatres? It's funny how you associate some foods with certain situations like that, like you were saying. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it could be quite good for like control groups and testing new flavors because you only get small pots and things at the theatre, don't you? So yeah. it could yes, be... and they've they've got a, a a fridge with limited space, and you usually go and have a period, and there's three flavors, isn't there, or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I think it could be a good way to sort of market new flavors. People come out of the theatre going, "Oh, I really enjoyed that caramel and cookie ice cream that I had at the theatre. I wonder if I can find it anywhere else." And you know, lo and behold. Suddenly they're telling all their friends that the only place they can go is the theatre if they want this wonderful ice cream. Very <laughs> oh, good. Uh, do you have anything else on, on that? Well, I've got some information about the Glasgow Ice Cream Wars, if you'd like to hear about that. Yeah, cool. I'm not 100% sure. Um, the information that I sort of found out about it within the, the 1980s, rival criminal organisations started using ice cream vans as a way to distribute their wares because they're quite... Well, I mean, I would like to say that they're quite like incognito, but I think if there's one thing that's not incognito at all, it's an ice cream van, isn't it? Because they've got the jingle <laughs> that they play as they go around. And... I do know there's kind of yeah. like urban myths, certainly from some of my former work colleagues, that when the, when they were young, the ice cream van was well known as a place for people to score their drugs from. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I think you know if it's if there's one vehicle that's going to attract attention, surely it's the ice cream van. Like, it's the one that makes a recognisable noise as it's in your street. Yeah, maybe it's not so much incognito as the fact that it can arrive, sell some ice creams, and disappear again. It's very mobile, so it could escape. Escape the eyes of its competitors, and the sort of hiding in plain sight, in the sense that you expect people to come up and loiter around it. Yes. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. Hmm. But I mean, you know, the the ice cream van that sort of comes round to me locally seems seems to get mobbed by you know small children below the age of say ten, which I'm I'm not sure is the is not the what they want to have surely. <laughs> Excuse me, have you got any crack? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Yeah. The one one thing that will always haunt me about ice cream vans is um the mu- you know the the themes that they have sort of vary across the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some of them are really kind of like inappropriate, aren't they? Because I match of the day theme comes up. Well it lot, comes around it? in July when it's hot and it's playing mm-hmm. Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. And you go, <laughs> it's entirely the wrong part, time of year for that. My um my haunting memory of one is that uh, my local one used to do the teddy bears picnic, right? Um, but it's it just played it in a really slow, like creepy. I'm like, that's not something that I want to go and stand outside by as a small child. <laughs> you imagine that he's going to lean through the little window and go, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very you know, very like child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang style. Yeah, yeah. that is all I had on on the whippy. Brilliant. I, I feel like an ice cream now. Um, you don't look like one. Shut up and tell us your favourite clue. Yes, if you remember, it was hearing not good, awful medical condition, which was a six-letter word. Uh, this was an anagram with a deletion. The definition part was medical condition, and the word play was hearing not good, awful where the awful was the anagram indicator and the fod of the anagram was the word hearing, but without the final G, hence not good. Because good can be abbreviated to G. Absolutely. Hence our H-E-A-R-I-N anagrams to hernia, which is a lovely medical condition. So while (laughs) the surface of the clue hints at profound deafness, it's actually leading you somewhere else. It's nothing yeah. fancy in that one, but it's very smooth. Void, I think you've got a weird word to set off from on today's little journey. Do you want to tell us about that one? Yeah, well, I picked the word sparapet from the puzzle. And just in case you think you misheard that, yes, there is an S at the front. Not parapet, but sparapet. And if, like me until now, you don't know the meaning of that word... Well, I'll come to it shortly, but I'll just say now it has military connotations. But on that front, I was looking at the word and I noticed that there are several other martial words lurking inside the letters of Sparapet. So uh, I'm going to go on a bit of a Dave journey into wordy stuff. So there is rap, R-A-P, in there. For a, a quick sharp blow, there's spat, as in a, a little tiff or argument, spar, as in box, paste, as in uh, give someone a heavy defeat, um, 
and there's tap as in just a, a little hit, a light blow. But if you put an S on that, you get to taps, which is the name of a bugle call, which is used by the American military at funeral ceremonies. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's their equivalent of what we have as the last post. And apparently taps dates back to 1862, so the American Civil War era, when Captain John Tidball was refused permission to fire seven rifles three times over the grave of his fallen comrade. Uh, I, I don't know why he was refused permission, but he was. And Captain Tidball said later, the thought suggested itself to me to sound taps instead, which I did. The idea was taken up by others until, in a short time, it was adopted by the entire army and is now looked upon as the most appropriate and touching part of a military funeral. Hmm. Also in the word, we had paras, which is the nickname of the Parachute Regiment, which is a, a British regiment formed in World War Two in 1942 and I read that that's one of the oldest continuous regiments still in existence which hasn't been amalgamated into uh, another regiment or merged with one. I have another military word and another maybe obscure one not getting to Sparapet yet but Satrap. You heard of that? Vaguely, yes. I want to say Persian Thing? Ding. And it's yes. certainly got the there's a satrapy is the with with a Y on the end of it is the kind of the province of the satrap. Yeah, spot on. Satraps were the governors of provinces of the ancient Achaemenid Persian Empire and uh, several of their successors as well. Uh, the the satrap was a viceroy to the king, but okay. with uh, quite a bit of autonomy. And the word came to suggest tyranny. Or ostentatious splendor, apparently. Right. And and as you say, a satrapy is the territory governed by a satrap. Where does the word come from? Uh, it's derived ultimately from Old Persian. Okay. I'm gonna have a crack at this. Oh, no, I can't pronounce this. X S X. Well, anyway, a word, an Old Persian word that means. Protector of the province. Um, there's a modern Persian word which is a, a descendant of it, Sharaban, which I may have murdered as well. Uh, but that has had a slight linguistic shift, and that means town keeper. So, what is that more like the mayor? Is it? Uh, I, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I thought sparapet kind of sounded similar to satrap, so I wondered if they had a. Uh, similar origins but uh, a sparapet is the hereditary title of the supreme commander of the armed forces in the ancient and medieval armenia and that came originally from the second century bce under the reign of king artaxias the first and was used in yeah oh good old artaxias yeah Yeah. (laughs) and that was used in the kingdom of armenia and the armenian kingdom of cilicia cilicia i'm not sure 
and that would have been a close neighbour of the kingdom of Pontus, which, if you remember, we mentioned when we were talking about Mithridatism a few episodes back. Uh, the title of Sparapet apparently was traditionally held by the representative of the House of Mamakonian since the beginning of the rule of the Arsakid kings of Armenia. Ringing any bells? No, me neither. Oh, that's easy um, for you to say. Yeah. It was used later in history. And in modern usage, apparently a chap called Vazgen Sargsyan, who was Armenia's defence minister in, 90, in the 90s, was often informally referred to as a sparapet in recognition of his leadership during the first Nagorno-Karabakh war. So a word that has had a long, continuous usage then, at least. Yeah. Although, even yeah, even I, if it wasn't familiar to any of us. Yeah, I've never heard of it before at all. <laughs> anyway, General, what was your favourite clue in the puzzle? Uh, my favourite clue was two down, which read, No axe cut yet, if so ordered. And it was four, two, nine. And I quite like this, because ordered indicates an anagram. But... No axe cut yet, if so, is all of the fodder that you need. It's the 15 letters of the clue. So if you rearrange those, you get stay of execution, which is a very nice and literal clue, I suppose, where both the word play and the definition are contained within the clue as a whole. Yes, I thought that was very neat, that one. Cool. Okay, Dave, which word did you jump off from? Uh, well, I'm going to do my cut price Susie Dent Delver kind of role again. So, yeah, more <laughs> word digging. At three down, we had the phrase swinging the lead, uh, which I think I am learning is in less common usage now than it used to be. I mean, how familiar were you guys with, with the phrase as a whole? Yeah, I've heard it before. Um, I, I had not heard it before, and so I had to look it up to make sure that I, <laughs> I was right. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was speaking to a friend who is only slightly younger than me, and she'd not uh, heard of it before either. So we'll quickly just start off by defining it. So according to Chambers, it says it is nautical and military slang to invent specious excuses to evade duties. Um, and the OED has it more generally just as idling or shirking. And the origin of it lies with the leadsman, uh, the sailor, whose duty it was to lower slowly and carefully a lead weight off the side of the ship to take a measure of the water's depth. And it was apparently a skilled job. It doesn't sound like it, but clearly if he's just swinging the line about, he's not taking the job seriously or doing it properly. So that's the origin of that. But what it yeah. reminded me of... Just making it was, look like he was doing the job rather than actually doing the job. I think that's exactly. uh, implicit yeah. in the suggestion of the phrase. Yeah. Uh, it, what it reminded me of was those kind of bits of jokey medical slang. Uh, the things that doctors supposedly write on patients' case notes that would be impenetrable to the layman. Um, in this case, there's um, Plumbum Ossilans. Are you familiar with this one? I can't say that I am. Uh, oh, okay. That would be swinging the lead. <laughs> it would be, yeah. So, oh. I mean, it sounds like a proper medical condition, but it's just Latin for swinging the lead. So it's it's the doctor's uh, indication that he thinks you're a malingerer. 
Another one that kind of I spotted that fits in that uh, category is oligoneuronal, which also sounds nicely medical. Um, and the kind of literal translation of that is Fat brain? few brain cells. Oh, okay. So that's his indication <laughs> that he thinks that you're thick. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of got me thinking about plumbum being Latin for lead and all the words that are kind of derived from that. So obviously we get the, the plumb line with the plumb bob on the end of it for marking out vertical lines. Obviously, plumber, because they originally worked with lead pipes. And I was going to make some Cluedo reference to, uh, you know, Miss Scarlet in the billiard <laughs> room with the lead pipe in there or something. But, um, and I, I always seem to find a way of working in a bit of printing terminology into these kind of etymological things. So just a reminder that leading in the terms of paragraph spacing, that was originally literally strips of lead laid in the block between the lines of type in order to space them out. Oh, it's leading. I would always thought of that as leading, leading. as in a, a yeah. leading space. Oh, well, now you know it's leading. Yeah. But did you know that to plummet, as in to plunge headlong, that also comes from the same root in the sense of dropping quickly and directly down like a lead weight? Oh, okay. And actually, so does plunge. Uh, it's the same thing, only via a, a sort of more roundabout route through old French plongier. Oh. Yeah. Now, a word that came into my head as one that I know the existence of but didn't know the meaning of was plumbago. And rather like sparapet, it's one of these words where it sounds like a familiar word with just a random letter stuck on the front of it. I, I kind of half assumed that it was something similar to lumbago, which is back pain, lower back pain. But it isn't. It's got two meanings. One is that it's a synonym for graphite, which perhaps yeah. accounts for why we call the stuff in pencils lead, even though it isn't lead, it's carbon. Mm, who knows? And yeah. the other meaning of it is a Mediterranean tropical plant. So I thought, oh, what? why? So I was looking that one up. Uh, Plumbago was Pliny's translation of the plant's original Greek name, which meant lead, and was molybdena. And I wasn't able to find out why the Greeks named the plant a word that meant lead. Possibly the colour of the blue flowers is something related to... No, I don't know, but there we are. Well, that sounds a lot like molybdenum. Exactly. You think, mm. yeah, it sounds like another element entirely. And indeed, molybdenum gets its name from the same Greek word for lead because it is apparently a somewhat lead-like substance. Wow. So, yeah, molybdenum and lead are kind of etymologically related. Molybdenum was John Peel's favourite element just because he liked the sound of the word. The sound of the word. Well, here we go. If you do something with aplomb, that is also related. The more common meaning these days is sort of coolness or self-possession. But apparently it's a sort of um, extension of the original meaning, which was just sort of perpendicularity. That's from the French, a plomb, as straight as a plumb line. Right. So maybe it means doing it perfectly, doing it very well. Absolutely, doing it straight down the line, absolutely. I'm nearly at the end here, folks. Uh, Plum without a B, so (laughs) the fruit, uh, that is, of course, entirely unrelated. That comes from the Latin prunum. Uh, which obviously also gives us prunes, because prunes and plums. Apparently changing L's to R's through 
sort of linguistic history as something that happens a lot because they're similar sounds and things with L's in them get changed to R's and vice yeah. versa. Um, and so if you know anyone called Prunella, then her name means little plum. Oh. <laughs> and, and finally, uh, the band Led Zeppelin are spelled L-E-D instead of L-E-A-D solely and specifically to prevent ambiguity in pronunciation. Because you think people in the world of rock music are used to lead guitars and amp leads and mic leads, and they're going to see the word L-E-A-D and pronounce it wrong. Mm. So they spelt it L-E-D to uh, to get around that. There we go. Yeah, their name originally came from, I think it was... I think it was Keith Moon that I think Jimmy Page was talking to, and he was saying, oh, "I've got I've got this new band together because uh, they evolved out of the Yardbirds or the New Yardbirds as they became mm-hmm. briefly." And I think Keith Moon's report was, "Oh, that's going to go down like a lead balloon," and then someone else said, "Oh, more like a Led Zeppelin." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've ploughed that furrow about as deep as I'm going to manage. Um, which uncannily smooth segue should lead us into your your clue? Which was 11 across. Delightful hopes scatter with this autumnal work. 636. Six. Uh, this is a simple anagram clue in that the word scatter could easily suggest an anagram to you. And the words you need to scatter are delightful hopes. So if you take an anagram of delightful hopes, and with this you get to a phrase that means autumnal work, and the answer is plough the fields. And I liked it just because the it was a nice short clue, clued very simply, but it's all very fair. And the fact that the next part of the title or the next part of the line from the work is we plough the fields and scatter. So it kind of mm. it, it's apt for that reason as well, isn't it? Good point. Now I think it's time for us to flounder helplessly in the quicksand of the general knowledge quiz. Thank you very much. What have you got for us today, General? Well, um, I found two new words and one word that was your favourite, if I remember rightly, Dave. So, well, one of them is: um, Do you know where you would find Europe's largest amusement arcade? Ooh, amusement arcade, mm. as opposed to an amusement park. Yes. Mm. I mean, my mind leapt initially to Copenhagen, the Tivoli Gardens, but that might just be an amusement park rather than the arcade in question. It's not going to turn out to be something naff and, and some British seaside resort, is it? Well... I will let you decide whether it's naff <laughs> or not. Uh, however, the, the correct answer is in Berry uh, of all places. Goodness. There is a, a what has been referred to as a warehouse by several sites that contains... Berry? Uh, in Greater Manchester, like that Berry, um, has a warehouse that incorporates over 300 arcade machines for people to sit and play various games on the range all the way back to, you know, Space Invaders and Asteroids, all the way up to modern day things like um, was it like Mortal Kombat and things like that, nice. which uh, surprised me, I think, of all places. You know, I, I was expecting some sign. I mean, a seaside resort would have been yeah, my go-to as well. Clacton but... or something. <laughs> yes, but uh, surprisingly not. 
maybe the property rents at a seaside resort were uh, prohibitively high. Oh, perhaps could be. Um, have you have you been to? Could be. No, I, I've not been. No. No, it just seems to started with a uh, a collector called Andy Palmer, uh, who had thirty machines in the back of a computer shop when he was younger, and then decided to expand into this massive warehouse. So yeah, it's probably a, a retro call for it. What's the word? nostalgia? Retro nostalgia gaming call oh, for yeah, it? Definitely. Yeah. If yeah. I was local, I might be tempted to pop along and see if they had a copy of Mr. Do. I've been I've not been to any amusement arcades. I'm I've been to penny arcades, you know, the kind of thing where you just sort of slot slot your coppers into a machine and just wait for two peas to drop out. <laughs> the original tipping point. The original tipping point. Without the quiz questions, you know, it's just all yeah. all waiting. My second question, approximately how long have humans known about hernias? When do you think <laughs> How long <laughs> when do you think uh Basically, I'm asking you how good you think medical science is. Because right. like, hernias, hernias are a relatively common condition, you know, throughout the population, like, mm-hmm. compared to a lot of things. Yeah, I can imagine. How long do you think we've well, known I mean, there about are... I follow a few ancient historians on Twitter, and sometimes you get people posting medical... What's the word? Not recipes prescriptions nostrums for cures for various ailments so i'm gonna have a guess that goes all the way back to ancient mesopotamia oh well i'm also certainly going to say it's likely to be ancient because there's certainly sort of lots of medical conditions that you think really that they were carrying out in ancient times oh there's a sort of trepanning and brain surgery and things mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so if it turned out to be ancient, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. If it's not as old as Mesopotamian, then I'd, I'd be surprised if it was later than uh, Egyptian. Well, that is that is the correct answer. It is a, a referred to in an ancient Egyptian scroll called the Abers Papyrus, named for a German man who bought the scroll from the finder. And it contains 700 or so magical formulas and folk remedies. It is 110 pages and is 20 metres long. Oh, wow. Um, some examples that we've got here as well. Hang on. Is, is hmm? it 110 pages or is it 20 metres long? Surely it's one or the other. I would imagine <laughs> it's one that's page. A scroll. It's a scroll, so it's one page, but in print, you know, because they've had you, you know, I think you can right. find it translate. You must be able to find it translated somewhere okay. online. Yeah. I have not, but the original, the original is in a museum in Germany. We're getting back to codexes again, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> and so, some examples of the remedies that they have here. To prevent conception, smear a paste of dates, acacia and honey to wool and apply as a pessary, which sounds uh, not wonderful. And then well, it'd just, worm it'd just put your partner off, wouldn't it? And it's like, it just would a little bit. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> guinea worm disease is wrap the emerging end of the worm around a stick and slowly pull it out. And apparently, that's, that's tapeworms, isn't it? That's, yeah, apparently that's still that's still the thing that we use today. Though we have found no better solution, so. But did they call them the Egyptians can't have called them guinea worms, can they? That's what your German fellow translated it as, I presumably. Yes, right. well, the German fellow would have uh translated it into German, but it was translated into English by somebody else. <laughs> oh, he translated it into Latin, sorry, and then it was translated into English. So are you gonna give us the ancient Egyptian remedy for a hernia then? 
<laughs> I don't have the ancient Egyptian remedy for a hernia here, unfortunately. Uh, and the, my final question, um, we made mention earlier on about uh, the French phase Avec Toi, which mm-hmm. was in the uh, the grid. Uh, do you know which singer has a compilation album that is entitled Avec Toi? Ooh. Uh, no. If I, was, answer. if I was forced <laughs> to guess, I would have said somebody like Edith Piaf. But... Um... I mean, it suggests possibly an album of duets. So, oh, that's a good um, idea. That is a good idea. Someone but... who is uh, renowned for collaborations. Yeah, you would think French. Mm. Okay, French singers. Johnny Hallyday. <laughs> Sasha Distel. I'll give you a little bit more information. Uh, the compilation is of songs recorded while the artist Shows was between the ages of 13 and 17 before she had learned English. Uh, oh, I was about to say Charlotte Church, but I think she probably would know English by then. Before mm. Closer to Charlotte Gainsbourg than Charlotte Church, possibly. Oh, okay. A young Vanessa Parody? Uh, it is not. It is, in fact, Celine Dion. Oh. oh. So she started out singing at the age of 13, released several French albums. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, she's still releasing French albums to this day, I believe. Um, her last one was in 2016. But between 1981 and 1985, she released seven French language albums before representing Switzerland in the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, and then going on to release English language albums as well and becoming one of the most successful female artists of all time. She's done well for herself. successful with that song from Titanic. <laughs> she has done quite well, yes. <laughs> Apparently she's also sang in Spanish, Italian, German, Latin, Japanese and Mandarin. Some people just show off, don't they? Remarkable. <laughs> yeah, quite, yeah. I do. I do enjoy listening to music in other languages, though. I find it um, almost refreshing, in a way. To to you know, like you hear so many like foreign bands making music in English, and they reach the charts here, but you don't really get much foreign language music making it big. Here. I've been that, trying that to that think link, of that uh... links back to my thing a couple of weeks ago about uh, about um, Oscar winning songs in in other languages, and uh, and how few of those there have been. Uh, Oh, yeah. I was mm. trying to think of hits in this country, though, in foreign languages, and there can't have been many. La Bamba springs to mind. Was Macarena in English and Spanish or just English? Michel, Marbel, sont des mots qui vont très bien ensemble. Pardon my appalling singing, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Did well. I suppose it was your time, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah forget <laughs> that one. Well, listeners, tweet yeah. us your foreign language hits in the British charts, please. We'd love to hear mm. from you. Yes. And otherwise, I think that's probably about all we've got time for. You have been listening to Off Grid, and you can find show notes for this episode, along with all the past episodes at offgrid.tlmb.net. If you've been blown away by our astonishing wit and erudition, hang on, who writes this nonsense? You can follow us on Twitter, where I'm at Skerwingle. 
And I'm at the void TLMB. And you can also leave a comment on the blog if you're not on Twitter. And I would like to recommend getting vaccinated against COVID-19 and wearing a mask. <laughs> Second deed. Uh, General, do you have any recommendations? Uh, just a couple of things. Um, I would recommend following at Mental Play Park on Twitter and also having a look at mpcryptics.blogspot.com if you're interested in looking at more cryptic crosswords. There is a new puzzle out every Saturday. Yes, those are well worth checking out. Uh, thanks again for helping us out, General Knowledge. Oh, not a problem. Good to be back in. Thanks, everyone. See you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Off Grid. And hello to our new listeners in Singapore, Amman, Nigeria and India. Welcome along. If you have enjoyed it, hooray! And please tell a friend. And if you're one of the people who have already rated and reviewed us, thank you very much. That was very kind of you. And if you're not, well, I mean, you, you, you could, if you like, that'd be lovely. Thank you to Gozo for our puzzle this episode. And thank you, as ever, to the Trudy for our pinching. We will see you in a fortnight. Bye-bye. I think I, I I don't think I was rude to anyone apart from maybe the town of Bury. So you know, if uh, <laughs> if we have any listeners in Bury, I'm very sorry.